Hello, and welcome to the podcast, Walking in Discipleship. This is episode 20, and the final podcast of the discipleship series, The Walk. We're happy to have you join us as we continue our discussion on worship from chapter 10 in our guide on page 157, is where we will be starting here. Over there is Pastor Tim, and way over there is Pastor John, and right here is Alan, and we are, we are your hosts. Last time we talked about what worship is and what can keep us from sincerely worshiping. This time, let's pick up in Hebrews chapter 10, where we find the means for true worship. So how is it we are able to come to worship sincerely, boldly, yet humbly, and in purity? In other words, let me just boil it down. On what grounds do I, can I approach God? I'm throwing that out there to you. The only way we can approach God, the most holy God, is not through our performances, our intrinsic value, or anything of that nature, but it's through Christ. That's the only way we can come before the most holy uh, God. The solid ground for our walk lies in Christ. This is what the book says. And so through faith in Christ, his righteousness is imputed to us as his uh, believers, as his God's children. And so his confidence, Christ's humility and purity and uh, uh, his virtues, his own nature um, is imputed in the sense of our righteous living uh, to us so that we can come before God. And so therefore he become Jesus becomes the focal point of our worship. Absolutely. Is that what you're saying? Absolutely. I'm going to go even a step further than that. In Hebrews um, 10, 19, therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Okay, so I'm going to say that not only is Jesus the goal, worshiping Jesus the goal, but it's also the key that opens the door to it. You see, without the blood of Jesus in verse 19, there's no way we can ever worship. It goes on to say, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh. Um, it is through his broken body. I mean, if we were to take the language of 1 Corinthians 11, right? It is his shed blood and his broken body that provide for us the ability for us to proclaim Christ until he comes. Okay, there, there, there is no way for us to enter into worship apart from a life transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, and I think one of the things that this chapter has highlighted, for me at least, is really just reminding me again that there is no such thing as the worship of the one true living God apart from the finished work of Christ being imputed to our lives. And I love it the way John highlights so much of that. So we, we uh, before we started recording, we started talking, we were talking about contemporary music, contemporary Christian music. Is it possible for a, an unbeliever to live or to listen to that and quote unquote worship along if they understand the concept, but haven't haven't uh, believed on Christ for their salvation. I mean, is, is there a, is there a position where Christian Christians or, or, or unbelievers 
can at least pretend to worship? Is that, I, I don't know. Do you understand what I'm asking? I, there is that surface kind of a worship, like uh, some sort of like worship from our lips, uh, from this uh, source. So there is definitely this aspect of uh, of the argument that can go in this direction, saying, you know, even an unbeliever can sing our songs. However, real worship or uh, the true worship that is in spirit and according to the truth. Well, what does the truth say about how can we approach God? Well, the truth says, well, we can approach God only by the blood of Jesus and through his flesh. And so coming before God uh, in, in any way, trying to come before God in any shape or form without the blood and uh, the, the flesh of Christ, it's, it's impossible. So you're saying that that's what, what you just said sort of puts a, a, I don't know, call it a silver uh, dagger through the heart of an ecumenical, all-inclusive, community-wide, come and worship with us thing. Is that what yes, Absolutely. We understand that God is love, uh, as the ecumenical movement is saying, but let's not forget that God is truth. And so you cannot... Uh, put a dichotomy between what is love and what is true. And so these two uh, ideas must go together. You know, I, I think a lot of people that are trying to push for this notion that you can have an unbeliever worshiping will go to the Old Testament. So now you're kind of in my little world. And so what they say is this, hey, you got Old Testament Israelites. Many of them were only circumcised in their flesh. They were not circumcised in their heart. And what they, what, what they were is outwardly religious, but inwardly unbelievers. And they say, if God could accept that in the Old Testament, then why doesn't he accept it in the New? Well, I think that begs the question, did God ever accept that in the Old Testament? I mean, and I just went to Ezekiel 11 in my head, Ezekiel 11, 19. Then I will give them one heart, and I will put a new spirit within them and take the stony heart out of their flesh and give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my judgments and do them. Notice God's kind of, if you would, timetable in this is he says, I remove the heart of flesh, I give them a new spirit, and then they do the good works. Okay, this is not simply a New Testament concept. This is the Old Testament. So those who are arguing that it's okay to have unbelievers worshiping God, I, I think they're on really bad grounds. It's That's not an Old Testament concept either. That's just a pagan concept. And that kind of goes back to uh, a little bit of, you know, dovetails into church membership and all those other things that we believe from the New Testament, where having unbelievers be part of your congregation, how can they worship together? If we are together on Sunday, uh, at the first day of the week, and, and to, uh, to worship together as a congregation, if you have a body made up of a lot of unbelievers, how true is our worship? I mean, it, it, at that point, as a congregation, can we have a true, a true worship? You know, sometimes they talk about belonging before you become, or you fake it until you make it, you know, all those kind of things in worship. And that is just as legitimate as having a, 
um, a tax preparer who's going to fake it until he makes it with your money or, or an investment person that's going to fake it until you make it, you would never take that line of argument for anything that mattered to you and trust that. And, and in the same argument, I'm going to say, there is nothing we do that is more important than giving glory to God and worshiping God. So if I wouldn't trust someone that's faking it till they make it to handle my finances, why in the world would I ever commend it into the worship of God? And not that we're saying that unbelievers shouldn't be coming to our churches, but they just shouldn't be members until they have placed their faith and trust in Christ. Um, and we as a church member uh, need to be more than willing to stand up and give them the gospel so that they under and in a way that they understand it. But that's, that's a, a different matter than what we're talking about here with worship. So unbelief or unbelievers, unbelief is one of the barriers to having uh, true worship. Um, what are, uh, th- there's two or three other ones listed in our book here. What, what are some of the other barriers that we have, uh, you know, to, to worship, um, you know, in our general time, our general uh, worship stance. And how do we deal with that? How, how do we deal with these things? Yeah, this is the, I thought one of the best parts of the entire chapter. I thought this was just golden. John, yeah. what do we do with this? The barrier of sin is countered by the worship of repentance. What, what does that mean? Why does that matter? Yeah, I, I think this is crucially important. Um, so the, the first barrier is, maybe the the scene in, in even in our lives and um i think we can tie it together with the previous um podcast uh, that we had on this topic under worship and so um even like how the book uh, explains here about david and um, his repentance uh, after the, the 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 ugly scene that he he did, and uh, considering the, the the consequences of of his sins, and so one of the one of the things that he does when he repents before God, he he starts to worship after his mourning, and so um, I think we can even look in our lives, and um, if there is sin, there is only one solution, and that is repentance. And is and the repentance in and of itself is an act of worship, correct? Is that is that way to say it, or would you argue with that? Uh, I think it's it's part and parcel of what it means to to worship the Lord. This is the the, the ground, the fundamental uh, part where we start, because we know that our hearts are the problems, even in in worship or when we don't feel like worshiping the Lord. And so, if we start the the treating the source of our issues which is heart and our sins that are hidden in our hearts uh then we can treat the the symptoms and uh, the things that are on the surface so what is the greek word for repentance has this idea of a change of mind the hebrew word has a little bit more of a change of direction but in either way they're not incompatible the the it, it, it true worship starts when we change our mind about whatever it is that is distracting us from God or turning us from God. It is when we think differently about it, but also that thinking actually leads to a transformed life. Um, And I I don't know how anyone thinks you're going to be able to worship God while loving something he doesn't love or hating someone he does. 
So in our, the next one in our book is, tell me how bitterness and submission are tied together. How, you know, how does that work? How, I think I understand it, but perhaps you can clarify it for those who are listening. I think we can start from uh, things that could cause us to, to feel bitter. When uh, maybe I would even argue that probably it's our rebellious hearts that think that we deserve more and better from the Lord uh, for some reason. And so when we don't get what we think we deserve, probably our first reaction of our rebellious heart is basically to become bitter, considering we, we, we deserve more. Just think about, for instance, what Paul uh, and how Paul uh, treated uh, when he was uh, treated uh, in, a, in an unfair way, let's put it like that, uh, you know, in quotation marks by the Lord. So he was the, one of the best teachers in Israel. He, uh, he had basically two uh, doctoral, uh, you know, studies by the age of 21. He was an accomplished scholar. And what does he get from the Lord? Uh, well, he gets some time in prison. And yeah. he was beat almost to death and, and things like that. And so um, if, if probably we would look at what we think we deserve, uh, I think we should learn what it means to, um, to be submitted to the um, will of God. What happens if uh, what it, it is, is being asked by the word of God to give up something that we hold near and dear to us? Is that... Uh, is, can that cause bitterness as well? Yeah, and you know, I've been I've, I've been pondering this one here. All right, I, I think you're hitting kind of right on that. So here's my take on it. See how close I am. It seems to me, and I think it is such a, an interesting dichotomy. If I am bitter, then I believe that I have been treated unjustly, and the world or God, or my spouse, or my kid, or my pastor, or my Sunday school teacher, they need to submit to my opinion on this matter, right? That's they good. need to agree with me. That's good, yeah. Right? And then, I, so, so I've been thinking about that. So the opposite of that is when it, I stop expecting people to agree with my opinion and I put myself under God and his word and I value God's opinion more than mine. By the way, that is a fascinating thing. I've been just pondering it going, okay, so the best way to address bitterness is to agree that God has the right to do anything in my life because he is the Lord and I'm going to put myself under that authority. Is that kind of what we're getting at in this? I mean, it's been really kind of really thought provoking for me, but I, I think we're kind of reach. I think to me, and, and I'm just kind of taking a step back here a little bit. Um, it looks, it, it seems to me that worship is really a, a compilation of all of the things we've talked about in discipleship, uh, specifically in the walk. It is, we are reaching the acme. We are reaching the, <clears throat> the peak of discipleship when you get to the point of worship. And 
but uh, to kind of bring it back to what we talked about, I think on the last podcast where we talked about the self-centeredness, bitterness to me is about self-centeredness. And so you've hit it right on the mark. How can you have I, me, my, and still worship? And by the way, John, people come into our churches carrying an <laughs> awful lot of reservations about God, uh, frustrations with other believers. Can they really worship God if they're holding on to those things? I think that's a huge hindrance in this, in this regard. You know, until our hearts come in, uh, in that stage of a full submission, trusting that the Lord Yes, he's sovereign, but in the same time, let's not forget that he's a loving God. He's a wise God. Uh, he knows what he's doing. Uh, he know. I mean, we know that he is in control. And so I think it's so important just to let these things go. And I think you guys have a, a saying in, uh, in English, um, things can make you better or bitter or something like that. I think it's this is how it sounds like. And so I think there is, uh, there is some truth um, uh, in that. And so I think just simply just obeying the Lord uh, and, and just living a life of submission that should free to make, uh, that should make our hearts more free. We worship. can't, we really can't come to the, to worship in spirit and truth as, as Jesus instructed us until we have accepted the sovereignty of God. Is that the is that a summary statement? Oh yeah, oh yes, and I think this is one of the practical ways to come and to uh, and to show to ourselves and to others that we actually we believe in the absolute sovereignty of the Lord. By the way, we also believe in the gospel. You know, as we were talking about this, I was reminded of Ephesians four thirty one: Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. That's the part we all know, but then the next verse is, and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. And I feel like one of the things that we don't do well is we don't do, we, we cannot say that we value the forgiveness that came from Christ for us if we are unwilling to forgive others, if we hold bitternesses against others. You see, if you think of it this way, bitterness in the life of a believer is antithetical to the gospel itself. It, 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 is, it is not just incompatible, it's antithetical. It stands in direct opposition to the gospel itself. Um, the problem is bitterness not only binds us, but bitterness blinds us. We, we don't see it in ourselves. Um, it, it, I've worked with a lot of bitter people in the ministry. And the one thing I've learned is this. They can see their bitterness in almost everyone around them, except for themselves. Um, even to the point where people around them are like, I don't think that way. I don't feel that way about you. I, not at all. But what we do is we, we set, it's like a set of glasses that are so dark that we just see everything through that. Um, and I got to say, I, the reason we cannot worship is if we come with bitterness in our heart, how could we ever speak of the cross in a meaningful way? Right. It, flesh, it just flesh that out it. a little bit. 
flesh that that statement out a little bit. How can we uh, tell us what you mean by that particular statement? How can we just so that everybody's clear about what you mean? How can we not? How can we come with bitterness and try to explain the cross? Because you, as you said earlier, they're antithetical. What do you mean by that? When Jesus sat in the Garden of Gethsemane, as he's preparing for the cross, what is the words we all remember? Not my will, but thine. Yes. And when we come in in bitterness, that is the one thing we cannot say. Okay? No matter what else you can say that's religious and pious, if you are grounded in bitterness, you cannot look at the Lord and say, not my will, but yours be done. But when we come to the cross and we remind ourselves that Christ has forgiven us because of that, then the next natural response is to say, not my will, but thine be done. And I got to tell you, at the moment you remember the cross, and at the moment you say that, the power of bitterness is already broken in your life. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just, it's crushed. Um, because what we do is we submit to our Heavenly Father by loving the gospel. Does that make sense? Right, right, exactly. So what we instead, by the way, what we often do is we come in and we think about how well we sang in choir or how good we are at um, whatever the ministry might be, working with babies or teaching or, for me, preaching. And we, and we look at all these externals. And, 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 what, and what we do is we think, don't they make up for the fact that in my heart there's bitterness? And the answer is, we know the answer to that, but we're blinded and we're bound by it. Um, so, so yeah, I, I just thought, boy, what, what a powerful statement to say. The opposite of bitterness is submission. Um, and so what we always think is repentance is the opposite of everything. But, boy, how, how important is it to know if I'm coming into church where I'm getting up in the day and I'm trying to have my devotions or whatever it may be, and I am really bitter at the people around me, what I need to do is not repent of bitterness. I need to submit to the gospel. That was really helpful for me. So I just, what a blessing wow. that's been. Can repeat that again. Repeat that again. Yeah. I said, if I'm dealing with sin or whatever it may be, I don't need to repent of my bitterness. I need to submit to the gospel. Okay. That's, that's really good. That was really helpful this, I'm going to write this stuff down. I, I'll never I don't remember know how it, but, noble but that, it is. It's just been challenging to me. Yeah, but that's, that is really, that just kind of summarizes the whole deal, the whole topic of bitterness. Yeah. You can't have bitterness if you're going to, yeah, wow. So <clears throat> what about sacrifice and devotion? Um, but what, what part of sacrifice goes into worship or what part of worship involves sacrifice, John? I, I, you know, this is a, you know, we think of Abraham and Isaac and we think of other examples in, in the Old Testament. You know, are we being called to that level of uh, giving up our firstborn? I mean, is that what we're being called to do? And, and the worship of sacrifice or, I mean, the barrier of sacrifice, is that broken down by the, is it just the willingness to? to uh, I think, yeah, I think the principle behind the, the story, for instance, uh, that happened with Abraham and Isaac and um, uh, I like the fact that you know they mentioned the book mentions another uh, barrier of sacrifice or about the fact that sometimes it looks like God forfeits something uh, in our lives and so um, 
I again, as you, as they put it, like in an antithetical uh, relationship. So the barrier for when we feel that something is forfeiting, that the Lord is forfeiting something from us, is is taking something uh, that we think we deserve from Him, uh, is in fact um, to keep being loyal to Him, to uh, be devoted uh, to Him. Um, I, another thing that uh, uh, it's it's being said under this uh, this topic is that um, until you obey, they they will hinder your worship. These barriers will will hinder our worship. And so I think it's important, you know, to to remember about the fact that um, when we know what we have to do, as James says in James chapter four, and we are not doing it, uh, that's a sin. You know, if you were to think about a typical Sunday, um, because we think of worship so much in in the context of the gathered assembly, remember we're evangelicals, we think about it in terms of like singing and that kind of thing. Um, It's interesting to me as a pastor that I have seen folks come into our service over the years. They come in to, but they never sing. They don't really get involved in praying. And over the years, I've had opportunities to sit down with people and say, hey, you know, I've just kind of noticed that you never sing or, or, or you're never really involved. And what, what I began to ask is this question. And maybe it's, it's always it's not like till I figured out myself. I, maybe it is. I have no idea. I just, so I just fundamentally asked the question, is, is it possible that something has happened in your life where you don't want to sing anymore? And inevitably, there normally is. Mm-hmm. So, Alan, what kind of things do you think people have told me over the years? I mean, what kind of things do you think I might have heard? Oh, well, so-and-so did something to me, and I don't, you know, I can't worship a guy that allows that to happen. Uh, I went to a church, and this is what they did, and I can't allow that to happen. So I'm not going to, I'm mad at God. Exactly. In almost every case, it comes down to this. If God is all-powerful, And if God is all wise and God let this happen to me, that's the step too far. Right. That that is when God asks for a sacrifice from me that was just too much. One of the, uh, one of the pastors that uh, you hear on the radio quite often who, uh, oftentimes hits it fairly square uh, hits a nail fairly square on the head is he says um in situations like that we have to consider if we are angry we think god has done something to us we and we need to look at it from his perspective and say why hasn't he done it sooner in other words <laughs> why you know he's given us breath to breathe you know or or my friend over here age 35 died or age 50 died well it was only because of god that he was alive anyway and so why hadn't why didn't he pull the plug sooner and so if you look at it from that perspective sometimes it's really hard to be mad when you look at it from god's perspective yeah and remember our book the barrier of sacrifice is count is countered by the worship of devotion right you know, and I think the way I love that Job twenty three ten. Um, he knows the way that I take, um, and at the very end, I'll come forth like gold, right? Right. 
for when I've been tried, when I've gone through the, the furnace of trial, then Job is able to, in the midst of that, identify that trial has a divine purpose of the refinement of the character of a believer, right? This is what he's right. thinking. Yeah. Um, what we, that, is, that, that is devotion to God. By contrast, trial can also drive us to a position of devotion to self, to where I, I sit there and I say, okay, um, God, I don't want to worship you because you have asked of me something that I don't want to give, or you have put something into my life that I don't think I can control or handle, or you have allowed trial or real sin against me. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. Um, the, and wow. one of the things that's helped me more than anything else is to ask who in human history has been asked by God to do the hardest possible task that was completely selfless. Who in human history has been insulted the most and never deserved it? Who in history has been treated so vilely by sinners? Right? Yeah. And then I get back to the Garden of Gethsemane. Yeah. Not my will, but yours be done. Right? Um, and and I, there's one passage that's just struggled, I've struggled with for years. What does it mean when Isaiah says that it pleased the Father to crush him? Yeah, exactly. I mean, how is the Father pleased by this? And he is pleased by the obedience of the Son, for there was no greater devotion to the heavenly father than a commitment to that kind of love. And, and so it's not like I can look at the person that's not singing and tell them that the hurt is not real. I don't look at them and say, you weren't sinned against. I'm not even looking at them saying that I maybe would make the right choice if I was in your shoes. So often I don't think I would, mm-hmm. but what I can point them to is there is one who is tempted in all points as we are yet without sin. He knows the feeling of our infirmity. He was tempted at all points, right? Um, and he does that so he can come to our aid. And so then I look, I have to look at them and say, no matter what sacrifice God may have asked of us, the solution to that is devotion. I thought it was just excellent here. This leads yeah. us to real authentic worship. Exactly. So we've, we've, we have these barriers where we're aware of these barriers. We deal with these barriers. And now we have a congregation of people who are coming to worship God in spirit and in truth with purity of heart and, and without bitterness in their lives and so forth. And, and it's, and a, a determination of devotion uh, to God, the heavenly father. What are some of the benefits that a church gets from this? What you as pastors, what, what, what do you see? What are the benefits that a church receives out of this um, that God's going to bless that church with? I think the fact that God is glorified, that's the most and the, the, the basic thing, the most important thing in, in all of this is that God gets all the glory when there are good relationships in church, when there are these healthy uh, relations between us, I think, um, and when our hearts are set right with him, he is most glorified in all these. Uh, but secondly, I think um, 
very important as well is that believers are purified. I think it's so important to, to understand that um, when uh, we repent of our sins, when we are most devoted to him, when we submit to his will, uh, it's important to understand that this has, this has an impact in the community as well. And so I think it's so important to understand that church discipline, I know it's not something that, you know, most people would like to hear, even like being mentioned in the church, not to, to be actually practiced. But it's so important to understand that each member of the body of Christ is important and we are members. And if there is sin in the church, in the community, sooner or later, that sin of someone in the community will affect us. This is why I was just uh, thinking through this, this aspect about the fact that, you know, when there was that sinner in the church of Corinth, what Paul is saying there to the Corinthians who actually were uh, proud of, of, of that sinful man, he says, remove the evil person from among yourselves. It's like cancer. And so I think it's so, so important um, to, to understand this. So, Pastor Tim, what, do you, what does it mean by the church would be edified as one of the benefits of a congregation that comes prepared to truly worship in spirit and in truth uh, with, uh, without the, and having taken care of the baggage in our lives? What, how does that work? Yeah, if I were to grab the language of like the Nine Marks guys, um, they talk about having a healthy church. Yeah. Um, you know, edification is a build-up church. They use the language of a healthy church. A church that can worship God in truth, where true worshipers are being called out by the Heavenly Father and are worshiping in spirit and truth, what that does is you get one member doing it, then another, and they start building on one another, and they start growing, and it multiplies, and the church gets healthy, and it gets more and more healthy. Um, and I feel like currently in our culture, there are less and less healthy churches. Um, it feels like a unhealthy church is a normal church and maybe even for a lot of people, a desirable church. And I think if we were to put Christ at the center of the church and we were to take holiness and worship and make it the key and not, and John, going back to the last podcast, not come as we are to worship, but come transformed to worship, we'd be healthy churches. And I think that's really what we're desiring here at Tri-City. And I think we're, we're just kind of desiring that in all of our churches where we serve. I think our book is kind of neat uh, the way it says that the end goal of worship is not ultimately that we feel better, but that we act better. At the end of the day, uh, worship is about purification of us and, uh, and, and attesting to the gospel and affirming that the gospel is uh, true and that we uh, are going to choose to live like that. Final comments, gentlemen? I just want to say anybody that's listened to our podcast for this long, <laughs> you know, thank you. I have no idea why you would do that, but we have had a massively good time um, just talking about the walk in this book. It's been a blessing to my life, and we really hope it's been a blessing to yours. Exactly. I was so honored to be with you all. Thank you so much for your hard work, and I hope it was a blessing to our listeners as well. Well, thank you for joining us on this final podcast of the Walking in Discipleship series. Uh, we continue to encourage you to memorize scripture. Our, uh, our guide uh, has 
scripture memory verses after each chapter. We encourage you to to pick those up, put those into your uh, into your uh, memory library, your verse library in your brain. Uh, it's part of our worship at a minimum to memorize scripture and part of our armor against the world as well. We also encourage you to pray for those whom you are mentoring and pray for those who are mentoring others uh, and pray for others uh, who are being mentored at the same time. Those that you aren't personally involved with, but you know are being mentored, that they may grow spiritually and to lead more godly lives. Well, for Pastor Tim and Pastor John, I'm Alan. I'm going to ask that uh, Pastor Tim would close us in prayer as we complete this last podcast. Father, I just ask that as um, so many of us have taken time and gone through this book, we ask that it would train, transform our lives, that we would train ourselves in godliness, um, and that this would not be a book that we just went through and we forget, but that we wouldn't, we'd see what manner of people we are, and we would remember, and we would change. Um, Lord, for everyone that is listening to this, that is mentoring someone, and ask that you would help them to continue this mentoring relationship. Um, after they're done this, and may there be a consistent pattern of growth um, due to this work. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.